Welcome to Current Radio's Technology Station. Please enjoy today's selection of technology news. So, Celeste, did you hear? After months of negotiations, the European Union lawmakers have finally reached an agreement on a risk-based framework for regulating artificial intelligence. This is a global first, and it's been lauded as a historic achievement. Historic indeed. This means a pan-EU AI law is on its way. But what are the specifics of this law, James? Well, the final text is yet to be released. But according to a press release, the deal includes a total prohibition on the use of AI for several things. For instance, biometric categorization systems that use sensitive characteristics, untargeted scraping of facial images, emotion recognition in workplaces and schools, social scoring based on personal characteristics, AI systems that manipulate human behavior, and AI used to exploit the vulnerabilities of people. That's quite comprehensive. But what about the use of remote biometric identification technology in public places by law enforcement? I've heard that there's been quite a debate about that. You're right. It hasn't been completely banned, but there are now a series of safeguards and narrow exceptions in place. For example, prior judicial authorization is now required and uses are limited to a strictly defined list of crimes. That's reassuring. But I've also heard some concerns from civil society groups. They're worried these limitations might not be enough to safeguard human rights. Yes, that's a valid concern. The digital rights group RI, for example, has said that while the deal contains some gains for human rights, it looks like a shell of the AI law Europe really needs. So it's not all positive feedback. But what about the rules for high-risk AIs and general-purpose AIs? The package includes obligations for AI systems classified as high-risk due to their potential to harm health, safety, fundamental rights, and more. These systems will require a mandatory fundamental rights impact assessment, among other requirements. Also, citizens will have the right to launch complaints about AI systems and receive explanations about decisions that impact their rights. That's a significant step towards transparency and accountability. But what about the penalties for non-compliance? They can be quite hefty. Depending on the infringement and size of the company, fines could range from 35 million euros or 7% of global turnover to 7.5 million or 1.5% of turnover. However, the provisional agreement allows for more proportionate caps on administrative fines for SMEs and startups in case of infringements. So there are incentives for companies to comply. And when can we expect the full force of the EU's AI Act to be felt? The deal allows for a phased entry into force after the law is adopted. So the full force of the Act may not be felt until 2026. That's quite some time away. But it's clear that this is a significant development for AI regulation, not just in Europe, but globally. It'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. Speaking of AI, let's delve a little deeper into how it's being applied in the world of robotics. Our colleagues at TechCrunch have been engaging with some of the industry's leading minds in their robotics newsletter, Actuator. Let's see who they've been talking to lately. Celeste, I've been following TechCrunch's robotics newsletter, Actuator, and they've been having Q&As with some of the top minds in robotics. Guess who they spoke to this time? Oh, I don't know, James. Who's up on the hot seat? Aaron Saunders, Boston Dynamics CTO. He's been with the company for over two decades and he's got some interesting insights on the future of robotics. Boston Dynamics, they've been making waves with their robots. What's, what's Saunders' take on generative AI and robotics? Well, 
He believes that generative AI will play a significant role in robotics. He sees the potential for AI to improve conversational interfaces, enhance computer vision, and even answer visual questions. He also thinks that AI will eventually extend into robotic planning and control. So we're looking at robots that can uh, interpret and interact with the world around them. That's fascinating. But what about the humanoid form factor? How does he feel about that? Saunders believes that humanoids aren't necessarily the best for all tasks. He gave the example of their robot Stretch, which is designed to move boxes more efficiently than humans. However, he does see value in the long-term pursuit of general-purpose robotics and... And the humanoid form factor fits into a world built around us, humans. I get it. So what's the next big thing for robotics, according to Saunders? He sees a future where robotics will move from deterministic environments to areas with higher levels of uncertainty. He thinks that after manufacturing and logistics, construction and healthcare could be the next sectors to embrace robotics. These areas have a high demand for skilled labor, but the supply isn't meeting the need. Makes sense. But how far are we from truly general-purpose robots? Saunders admits that there are many challenges to overcome before we see truly general-purpose robots. They need to navigate unstructured environments, solve unfamiliar problems, and do so in a way that builds trust and delights users. And all of this has to be done at a competitive price point. A tall order indeed. But what about home robots? Are we going to see more of them in the next decade? Saunders thinks we might see more robots in homes for specific tasks, but we're still more than a decade away from multifunctional in-home robots. He poses an interesting question. When would you pay as much for a robot as you would a car, when it provides the same level of dependability and value? That's an interesting perspective. So what does he think is an underreported trend? in robotics. Saunders believes that while there's a lot of enthusiasm around AI, there's more to a good robotic product than just software. He thinks we need to pay more attention to progress in key technologies like computers, perception sensors, power sources, and other components of a full robotic system. He sees this as one of the most exciting trends in robotics because it allows small innovative companies to leverage the advancements made by larger ones. That's a great point. Can't wait to see what the future holds for robotics. From the future of robotics to the current challenges in the tech world, let's switch gears to a story about a startup that has found itself in a bit of a predicament. This company has been trying to bridge the gap between Android and iPhone users, but it seems they've hit a roadblock. Let's dive into the details. So Celeste, remember Beeper, the startup that brought iMessage to Android users? They've hit a bit of a snag. Ah, yes, the blue bubble texts for Android. What's the problem? Well, they're experiencing an outage. Users can't send texts via the Beeper Mini, and they're getting error messages. The CEO, Eric Mijakovsky, suspects Apple might be... Wait, Apple? Are they trying to block Beeper Mini? That's what Mijakovsky thinks. He's argued that Beeper Mini isn't just good for Android users, but it also increases security for iPhone users, since green bubble texts are unencrypted. So... Beeper was actually providing a more secure messaging platform? Yes, but Apple sees iMessage as a key tool for keeping users in its ecosystem, which is why it won't launch an iMessage app for Android. And recent EU regulations seem to be giving iMessage a pass, so Apple has no reason not to try to shut down Beeper Mini. But that's frustrating for Android users who want to join iMessage chats. 
And Mijakovsky isn't happy about it, I assume? Not at all. He's questioning why Apple would want to make security worse for iPhone users. He's also asking why Apple would kill a service that allows iPhones to send encrypted chats to Android users, especially now as Apple has announced RCS support, acknowledging a gap in their service. So what's next for Beeper? Mijakovsky said they'll evaluate options, but Apple's official statement claims they block techniques that exploit fake credentials to gain access to iMessage, citing risks to user security and privacy. They say they can't verify that messages sent through unauthorized both maintain end-to-end encryption. So it's a battle of security claims. Interesting. Any updates from Beeper? Beeper's been tweeting about the situation. They initially thought they'd fixed the problem, but then they realized it wasn't working for all accounts. They're back at it, though, and have reported that iMessage for Beeper Cloud is back up. Well, it's a fascinating tug-of-war to watch. We'll have to see how this plays out. From one tech battleground to another, let's pivot our focus from the ongoing messaging wars to the transformative power of artificial intelligence. We're about to delve into how generative AI is not just a buzzword, but a paradigm shift that's set to disrupt the enterprise tech stack in significant ways. Generative AI, Celeste, it's not just a buzzword, it's a paradigm shift, and it's going to disrupt the enterprise tech stack in a big way. Oh, I couldn't agree more, James. But this transformation is not going to be an overnight thing. It's going to be a steep and steady climb. Absolutely. We're already seeing the initial spend at the infrastructure layer. Companies are investing in power and performance. Just look at the capital pouring into NVIDIA and GPU aggregators. Yes. And as adoption moves up the stack, we'll see a shift in development focus. It's going to be all about the new experiences and products that will reshape each subsequent layer. Right. And we're only just beginning to see how this will unfold at the application layer. It's going to be profound. Remember the shift from system of record applications like Salesforce and Workday to system of engagement applications like Slack and Notion? Absolutely. It was all about creating more consumer-like experiences, improving UIs, introducing interactive elements, and collaboration was a key feature. But now with generative AI, we can expect an even more sweeping evolution. The first players look a lot like ChatGPT integrators, building lightweight tools directly on top of generative models. But these applications tend to have high churn due to limited workflow or lack of additional functionality. Right. And the second wave of generative AI applications will leverage generative models to integrate the structured data from system of record applications and the unstructured data from system of engagement applications. And then we have the third wave, where startups create their own defensible system of intelligence layer. They'll introduce novel product offerings, build out workflows, and create new structured and unstructured data where generative models can enhance the product experience. So essentially, they'll create a new class of super data sets. And a core focus for these products should be integrations with the ability to ingest, clean, and label the data. Exactly. And when a product accomplishes all of this, switching to a competitor becomes very difficult. The intelligence lies not only in the product or model, but also in the associated hierarchy, labels, and weights. So these true system of intelligence products will have deep integration with company workflows, be sophisticated around the characterization and digestion of data, and create data feedback loops within and between customers to enhance the product experience. 
Yes, and they must provide enduring value in order to survive. They'll face steep competition from incumbents who will build generative AI-enabled intelligence capabilities into their products. It's up to the new wave of system of intelligence to couple their offerings with high-value workflows, collaboration, and the introduction of super datasets to endure. The transformation of the AI space has certainly accelerated. Open source models are proliferating, and closed proprietary models are also evolving rapidly. Founders have to build enduring system of intelligence products atop this rapidly shifting landscape. And when it's done right, the impact on enterprises will be extraordinary. It's a fascinating time to be in the tech industry, isn't it?